welcome to episode eight of the Plus Podcast with Mark West. Now, the chances of you winning the National Lottery is 1 in 14 million. So if you think about it, really you've got a better chance of winning the lottery every single day than you have of working out the one possible setting for the day. Yes, this week on the Plus Podcast, we're talking probability and codes, and in particular, the Enigma Code. A code so tough that you have more chance of winning the UK National Lottery every day for the next 10 years than you do of sitting down with a pen and paper and cracking it. The Enigma Code was at the heart of German encryption during the Second World War, and the code was considered to be unbreakable. This week, PLUS talks to Nadia Baker from the Enigma Project. Nadia travels the UK and Europe with a real World War II Enigma machine, communicating the science of codes and code breaking. This week, Nadia tells us about the history and science of codes and how the Allies eventually broke the so-called unbreakable code. Well, I run the Enigma Project, which is part of the Millennium Mathematics Project based at the University of Cambridge. So my job is to travel all over the country, all over the United Kingdom and parts of Europe, talking about the maths behind codes and code breaking. And when I do this, I demonstrate an Enigma cipher machine, a genuine World War II Enigma cipher machine, which was used by the Germans all throughout World War II to encrypt their secret messages. So that's how I bring to life my presentations on codes and code breaking. So what's some of the history of the Enigma machine and, and codes in general? People have been communicating in code for thousands and thousands of years, basically for as long as people have been communicating for. And really the people that the most famous for uh, the beginning of codes would have to be the ancient Greeks, the Spartans, in fact. And the way they coded their messages was they got a big stick called a scutale and they would literally wrap a big leather belt around the scutale and write the message they wanted to send on it from left to right. And then they would unwrap that belt and give the belt to a messenger. The messenger would wrap the belt around themselves, run off to whoever they wanted to send the message to and then give that person um, that leather belt. And then in order for them to read the message, they would then need to wrap the belt around another uh, scutale, another stick the same size. That was really one of the most, or the earliest forms of military code. And obviously they've developed significantly um, since then. Nowadays, I mean, we use much more advanced methods of, of coding, but the most famously known military code would have to be the Enigma code, which was used during World War II. So in World War II, why was the Enigma machine so significant and why is it so famously known these days? The Enigma machine is so famously known nowadays because it was thought to be the, the unbreakable code. Nobody could possibly crack the Enigma code. And so during World War II, all the Germans that were using Enigma machines to encipher all their messages, they, they thought that 
there's no possible way the Allies could get hold of these messages or understand what these messages uh, are said. So that's why it's so famous because it was it was thought to be uh, totally unbreakable. So how does this unbreakable code machine work and how did the English end up breaking it? So in front of me I have the Enigma machine that I bring with me all around the country and this particular Enigma machine was made in 1936 and in fact it was found lying in a field in France at the end of the war and an American serviceman was walking by and happened to uh, to pick it up, thought it looked pretty cool and kept it for many, many years until he unfortunately died. And so I now have the privilege of taking it all over the country and bringing uh, maths and codes and code breaking in general to life with it. Now, the Enigma machine looks a little bit like an old-fashioned typewriter Uh, but it does work a little bit differently. There are what looks like two keyboards. We have the keyboard where you type the plain text message into and above that keyboard we have what's called the lamp board where the letters light up. So whenever the Germans wanted to send a message during World War II, all they'd simply do is type the message they wanted to send into the keyboard. So for example, if they wanted to send the message hello, they would first type in H and on this occasion the D on the lamp board has lit up. So D would be the first letter in the cipher text. E is a V, L is a K, L again is an F and O is an L. So the ciphertext D, V, K, F, L would then be sent by radio in Morse code to the other Enigma operators. Now, I typed in L twice and L was enciphered as K followed by F. Now, this is the strength of the Enigma code. This is why the Germans during World War II thought it was truly unbreakable because every time you type in a letter like L, a different letter is enciphered almost every time. And therefore, when you go to try and crack the Enigma code, you can't possibly use techniques like frequency analysis to crack it. Because frequency analysis, very uh, famously used mathematical technique to crack codes, can't be used with the Enigma code because frequency analysis relies on a frequently occurring letter in the code. So for example, if P occurs the most in a code, you would then be able to replace the letter P with the most commonly used letter in English, which happens to be E, but you can't do that with the Enigma code because there isn't ever a frequently occurring letter. Now the reason why this happens, the reason why a different letter lights up every time is because of the constantly moving rotors that the electrical signal passes through inside the Enigma machine. I'm just opening up the Enigma machine now and underneath those letters on the lamp board are simply little light bulbs. So every time a letter's typed in, one of these light bulbs simply light up. 
And each time a light bulb lights up, one of the three rotors above it moves forward one place. So there are three rotors that the electrical signal passes through and that electrical signal passes through a series of jumbled up wires inside those rotors. Now at the end of those three rotors we have what's called the reflector. So after the electrical signal passes through the three rotors it hits the reflector, the reflector then reflects that electrical signal back through the three rotors again and lights up one of those bulbs. So each time one of those rotors moves forward one place the path that the electrical signal takes through those rotors changes and therefore a different letter lights up. So if I was a German general and I received one of these encrypted messages, how on earth do I decode it? Good question. Well, all codes and, and ciphers are made up of two parts, the algorithm and the key. Now, the algorithm is simply the method of coding. So the algorithm in this case is the Enigma machine. The key in this case is the setting, the way the Enigma machine was set up. And provided you know what the algorithm is and the key is, you can decrypt any coded message. So if you have an Enigma machine and you know the key, the setting, then you can decrypt the message that you've received. Now, the hard part was knowing the setting. That was hard for the Allies, but not so hard for the Germans because they all had a copy of the setting sheet, the daily setting sheet. In fact, every month there was a setting sheet um, distributed and it had the set the key or the setting for every day of the month. So at midnight every German Enigma operator would set their Enigma machine up according to the day's setting on that setting sheet. And they guarded those setting sheets with all their lives. They, they never let anybody get hold of them. In fact, everything written on that setting sheet was written in insoluble ink. And they, if they ever thought the Allies were going to get their hands on a copy of the setting sheet, they would dip it into a bucket of water and all the writing would rub straight off of it. They guarded them like you wouldn't believe. So how many different ways are there of setting up this machine? Now, there were lots and lots of different ways of setting up uh, the Enigma machine. In fact, there were 100,000 million, million, million possible ways of setting up an Enigma machine. One way was to remove those three rotors that I spoke about earlier. During the war, they had five rotors to choose from, and every day the Enigma operators would select a different three from the possible five that they had to put into the Enigma machine. So if we think about the number of possible ways of doing that, um, you've, you've got five rotors to choose from, three positions in the Enigma machine. So choosing three objects from five, well you have five to choose from for position one, you've used one rotor then for position one, you've only got four left over for position two, then three left over for position three, five times four times three is 60. So 60 different ways of choosing the rotors alone to put into the Enigma machine. In addition to choosing the rotors, they would also choose a different starting position for each rotor. Now 26 letters of the alphabet, each rotor had 26 different starting positions. Three rotors, so the number of different ways of setting up each of the three rotors 
26 for the first one, 26 for the second one, 26 for the third one, 26 times 26 times 26, we have 17,576 different ways of setting up a different starting position for each rotor. Now, in addition to that, they would also change where each rotor kicks the next rotor forward one place. So once the furthest right rotor does a whole revolution, it goes around, moves forward 26 times, it will then kick the middle rotor forward one place. And then once that middle rotor goes around 26 times, there's a whole revolution, it will then kick the furthest left rotor forward one place. It works a little bit like a milometer on a car. So every day the Enigma operators would also change where each rotor kicks the next rotor forward one place. So the number of different ways of setting up that the kickover point is 26 times 26, we have 676. So we have 60 different ways of choosing the rotors, 17,576 different ways of choosing a different starting position for each rotor, 676 different ways of, of selecting a kickover point for, for the next rotor. Now, you would think that would be enough different ways of setting up the Enigma machine, but to make it even more complicated and harder for the allies to determine which one uh, setting that they were using for the day, they introduced a plug board at the front of the Enigma machine. Now the plug board comprised of 10 plugs. Each plug had two ends. For one plug, two letters would be connected into each other. So for example, if a P was connected or plugged into the letter L, every time you type in the letter P, the electrical signal sorry, would take the L path through the Enigma machine rather than the P path. So all it did was really switch the path that the electrical signal was taking. So 10 plugs, therefore a possible 20 letters out of a possible 26 in total could be connected into each other. Now believe it or not, the number of possible combinations there, number of ways of selecting 20 out of a possible 26 letters is approximately 150 million million different ways. So the total number of keys there, the total number of ways of setting up an Enigma cipher machine is, if you do the math, multiply all those numbers together, 150 million million times 17,576 times 676 times 60 is, big deep breath, do you know? No. Ah! <laughs> uh, Approximately 100,000 million, million, million different ways of setting up the Enigma machine. So every day out of the 100,000 million, 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 one would be selected as the starting position for that day and every Enigma operator would set their Enigma machine up according to that one setting. Now the chances of you winning the National Lottery, the UK National Lottery, is 1 in 14 million. So if you think about it, really you've got a better chance of winning the lottery every single day during the war than you have of working out the 1, 1 out of 100,000 million, million, million possible settings for the day.
So I'm a German general and I've just got your code and I've got to set my Enigma machine up to be one of a hundred thousand million 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 uh, possible combinations and you were able to do this off of the top of your head, which is remarkable. How do I do this? So you as a German Enigma operator would simply go to your setting sheet and set up your Enigma machine according to the information provided in that sheet, which would tell you which rotors to use, the starting position for each rotor, the kickover points, and how to set up your plug board. Now that your Enigma machine is all set up and ready to go, it becomes very easy for you to decipher the messages. So an example of that, using the Enigma machine I have in front of me, I would have set up my Enigma machine according to the setting sheet, which is the same way your Enigma machine would be set up. I'm now going to type in the message OK. Now type in O, the letter Z lights up, and that far right rotor has moved forward one place. I'm now going to type in the letter K, and the letter W has lit up. That far right rotor has moved forward again one place, so in total it's moved forward two places. Now that message, uh, ZW, is then sent to you by Morse code, and you receive that message, uh, ZW, and in order for you to decipher it, you simply need to type in that message into your Enigma machine. Now, remember, your Enigma machine would be set up in exactly the same way this Enigma machine was set up before I typed in O followed by K. That far right rotor has moved forward two places. To get it back to that original setting, I'm simply going to move that far right rotor back two places. And now, when I type in Z followed by W, O followed by K should light up. Fingers crossed. Z is an O and W is a K. So it's symmetrical. If I press, let's say, I don't know, if I press R and D comes up in exactly the same position, if I were to press D, R should come up. Absolutely. That's exactly how it works. So how on earth did the English crack this code? It's interesting you say the English because, in fact, the first country to crack the Enigma code was Poland and in 1939 when World War II was about to to break out uh, Poland was was going to be invaded and so they handed over all this vital information about Enigma and and the settings and all, all this work that they had done on cracking the code uh, to the British and and the French. Now the British worked on this information that was handed over to them by Poland at a place called Bletchley Park. Now, at Bletchley Park, there were about 12,000 people working there, people from all over the country, uh, mathematicians, scientists, even crossword experts. Uh, they were all employed to work on cracking the Enigma code in top secret. In fact, it was the world's best kept secret. They kept all this a secret all throughout World War II, the fact that they were working on cracking the Enigma code. And not only did they keep it a secret during the war, they kept it a secret for 30 years after the war and it was thought to be the world's best kept secret. Now, they used a lot of logical thinking and problem solving to crack the Enigma code, all these great skills that mathematics trains your brains to be able to do. One of the most famous 
the known co-breakers at Bletchley Park was Alan Turing. And Alan Turing, with the help of Gordon Welchman, designed a machine called the bomb. Now, the bomb was made up of lots and lots of, uh, like, like Enigma rotors, but they called them drums. And they were all connected together to click through all the possible settings of the day. And this machine, the bomb, would determine the setting after about an hour or so. It really didn't take them very long. There were about 210 bombs made and used during World War II. And they were really big, really noisy, generated a huge amount of heat, took up most of the space in a, in a large room. And it was the invention of these bombs that helped them to determine the key for every single day during World War II. Obviously, they had to do this every day because the Germans changed the setting every day. But it then allowed the, the Allies to be able to read these secret messages that the Germans were sending out. Now, the bomb relied on a number of different things that um, the codebreakers were able to exploit. For example, the technical fault with the Enigma machine. Now, the technical fault of the machine was the fact that every time you type in a letter, a different letter will light up except for the letter that you type in. So if you type in P, any letter will light up except for P. A, any letter will light up except for A. That's a technical fault. And that was exploited when cracking the code. Something else that really contributed to cracking the code was the fact that Germans totally and utterly thought that the Enigma code was unbreakable. They never, ever, ever doubted the strength of the code. So as a result of that, they started using the machine really, really, really badly. Like sending out the same message every single day at the same time great example of that was the weather report. Now, at six o'clock in the morning, the Germans would send out the weather report every day at six o'clock in the morning, which made this really easy for the code breakers. Because if you were a code breaker working at Bletchley Park, you receive a message at six o'clock in the morning, you could guess certain words that could possibly be contained in that message. You knew it would be a weather report because that's what they did. They sent out the weather report every day. So perhaps the word weather would be uh, contained in that message or perhaps some weather conditions or a location or the time, 6 o'clock. Now these words that the code breakers were able to guess were called cribs and cribs were really, really a really important part of the code breaking process. So once they'd cracked the Enigma code, what, uh, how did they use it and what difference did this make to the war effort? Now, as well as the, the weather report that I mentioned earlier, obviously Germany um, was sending out quite a lot of really important information, important information about their battle plans and most importantly, the positions of the U-boats in the Atlantic. Now, the U-boats were the German submarines and they were the most destructive weapons during uh, World War II. These U-boats were sinking the merchant ships that were transporting uh, goods and food and labour from America to Britain during the war. And 
This was Britain's lifeline. Without these merchant ships, Britain wouldn't have survived during World War Two. Now, through cracking the Enigma code, Britain was then able to read these messages that contained information about the positions of these U-boats. They knew where these U-boats were in the Atlantic. And so what they did is they then diverted the merchant ships away from these U-boat wolf packs so less merchant ships were being sunk as a result. Now, if they didn't know where these U-boats were, more um, merchant ships would have been sunk or continued to, to, to be sunk during the war and therefore Britain would have had to divert its manpower to creating more of these merchant ships. And diverting the manpower into creating more merchant ships would have meant the, um, the, the D-Day invasion would have been delayed by up to, say, two whole years historians truly believe that through cracking the Enigma Code, it, it meant that World War II was shortened by two whole years and saved countless numbers of lives. So where are you off touring to next? And where's the coolest place the Enigma Project has been? Right, so the next place I'm off to is Dorset, followed by Kent. That's next week. And the coolest place I've been to with the Enigma Project would have to be Spain. I visited an international school in Murcia in Spain. Now, I'll tell you what, taking the Enigma machine abroad is an interesting experience. Uh, taking it with me on the aeroplane uh, is certainly more challenging than what I thought it would be initially when I had the idea of, of taking it abroad. Um, in fact, when I, whenever I go abroad now, I have to book an extra seat on the aeroplane just for the Enigma machine. So there I am sitting on the plane with an Enigma machine in its case, obviously, its big suitcase, sitting in the seat next to me. And I certainly get lots of strange looks as a result. So what's it worth if it needs its own seat on an aeroplane? The Enigma machine is priceless. It cannot possibly put a, a price on the Enigma machine because it, it can't be. it's one of those things that can't be replaced. Well, thank you, Nadia, for joining us on the Plus Podcast. Thank you, Mark. If you'd like any more information on the Enigma project, visit their website at enigma.maths.org. That's E-N-I-G-M-A dot maths dot org. And if you'd like any more information on the maths involved in code breaking, the Enigma code, or any of the mathematicians involved in cracking the code, visit our website at plus.maths.org. That's plus.maths.org. And whilst you're there, feel free to drop us an email as well. Thanks for joining us this week. My name's Mark West, and we'll see you next time on the Plus Podcast.